0: Hello and welcome to another episode of How Did You Manage That, the music podcast where we get inside the minds of some of the world's greatest music managers and work out how the heck they succeed in one of the most difficult industries that there is. My name is Ali McCrae.
1: I'm Sophie. And this week, my oh my, have we got a manager for you. You might know him through a little known act called AJ Tracy, but he also looks after some other incredible artists like, Sayo Bodega conductor and runs his own management agency called Supernature. We're not going to go into too much in this introduction because there is just so much wisdom to be gathered from this episode. I think we should just get straight into it.
0: That and I also read out his bio to him at the start of the episode.
1: You do indeed, yes, yes. (laughs) As always, while you're listening to the podcast, if you have something to say or you just want to tell people how amazing it is, you could just jump in and tweet us at Manage That Pod or Instagram, we're at Manage That Pod as well. And without further ado, here is the amazing Andy Musgrave of Supernature.
0: Right, we are today joined by, and I'm going to go into full bio reading mode here, manager of several (laughs) high profile international acts, including AJ Tracy, conductor, and Sega Bodega, to name but a few founder of independent artist services company Supernature, over 10 years experience across artist management, label services, brand development, creative direction, marketing and events. It's the awesome Andy Musgrave. You okay with that bio? Yeah. Does that that sound okay for an intro?
2: Yeah, where's that from? Is that from my LinkedIn? <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think it's probably more like it's more like twelve years experience now, so okay, I can give we'll it a it. bit of an update. <laughs>
0: um, let's round it up to thirteen. Um, so yeah, I mean this is the second time we're recording this because you know, we don't want to dwell on it too much, but pandemic as with every other aspect of music, we recorded this. We think maybe like nine months ago originally, and so much has changed. So much has happened. We're about to get the new series going. We thought it's only right to get the most up to date version of what's been going on with Supernature. So, how have you been, man? What's been happening?
2: What's been happening? Um, a lot's been going on. I think the last couple of years, um, I've I've really sort of spent kind of transitioning from being a, a sort of a standalone solo artist manager doing everything myself to um sort of biting the bullet and build starting to build a team and 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 get a bit of support and get a bit of sort of expert guidance on things that i'd just been you know kind of winging it for so long um and it's been really it's been really positive um it's been really good i've got a team of um around about 10 people now wow um working mostly remotely um and um yeah it's uh it it feels good it feels like we're we're in a good position to support um more artists and to a higher standard than I was ever able to do um uh, by myself um so i think a, a big learning for me has been um get help get help when <laughs> when you need it <laughs> Yeah, so I I read a bit of advice at one point, um, and it said like, as soon as you can afford to hire somebody as as a sort of a freelancer, Mm -hmm. like do it straight away. Brilliant. It it took me a while to um, action that advice, but (laughs) (laughs) since I've done it, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been great.
1: Do you think it took you a while because one thing I think managers that we've spoken to on the podcast before say is it's. It's you're so used to doing everything yourself and being this one man band for your artist that there is an element of suddenly relinquishing control and maybe the vision yeah. and relationship you have with your artist to someone else. And that can be kind of scary, yeah. right?
2: It's yeah, because the thing is the the, the artist manager relationship I think is really unique in that as the manager your, your 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 role is to is to really deeply understand um their vision and to sort of you know execute that vision across all areas of the business and what you often find is as you start to um hand things over to people that are less committed naturally less committed to the project because they don't have that direct relationship with the artist you find the vision just gets kind of diluted a little bit Um, even if the person that you're outsourcing or the the team that you're outsourcing the work to even if they are more capable of doing that specific job it might not be in the in the pure vision of the artist and so it's not you know you you worry about the output being um you know truly authentic so that's a big part of it is is um yeah you know feeling as if um no one else is going to do that job with the same level of care and attention that you as the manager are
1: yeah definitely i think um Maybe what we'll do is we'll take it back and talk a bit, bit more about your management journey so far. Um, I believe, and I don't think this is LinkedIn, I think this is research. Did you start out managing Rint's Sledge and Slimsy? Is that right? Like DJ Slimsy? Uh-huh. And then yeah. it kind of grew from there. Can you tell me a bit more about that relationship mm. and, and how that came about and how that developed into to what is, I suppose, Supernature today?
2: Yeah, well, I'd been... Um, it, I lived in Bristol for 10 years. I actually studied um graphic design in Bristol. Um spent a few years working in a in a a sort of quite corporate job as a graphic designer in an architect's firm. Um quite quickly um started to kind of creatively supplement that work by doing um uh artwork for uh promoters in in the city who I was meeting uh doing interesting club nights and um then decided to set up my own club night um largely largely for the sort of the thrill of like being able to build the brand of it mm. and to sort of cr- like craft the sort of the visual presentation of it and to craft the sort of the musical curation and all of that stuff i was never that into the parties themselves i, I was never really into sort of you know <laughs> the the enjoyment of the night it was more <laughs> about the curation and the bringing people together that i was interested in mm-hmm. um off the back of running the parties, um, which I did, I, I sort of grew a team of people around the, the one sort of main party that I did. That then um, turned into a record label. We, we built a record label under the same brand. It was called Crazy Legs, um, mm. which it, it ran for sort of 12 years in the end. Um, quite quickly after um, sort of launching the record label, I found myself very involved in the sort of, in in sort of helping the artists develop on a sort of, day-to-day capacity and as they started getting booking requests i would be sort of handling the booking requests for them i would be helping them to sort of um design their socials and uh you know make sure that soundcloud had all the latest stuff on it and um i'd been booking dj slimsey at my parties for a few years i um, mean he'd always been a sort of a, like a bit of a musical hero of mine from the kind of the days where garage cr- sort of mutated into grime sort of late late 90s early 2000s and slimsey was 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 always at the sort of he was always a bit of an unsung hero of that kind of transition um and come sort of 2009 2010 when i was booking him to come play in bristol for like a you know 150 quid i just felt like people need to understand who this guy is like a lot of things wouldn't have happened without his his sort of musical experimentation as a dj providing the sort of the bed for all these mcs that came through mm-hmm. and um so i just said to him look let me help you sort of you know let's start a SoundCloud. Let me, I'll, I'll get some old like Sidewinder rips and we'll just start uploading them to SoundCloud. Every few days, we'll upload a new set. It's, all, it's on the internet, but we'll, we'll bring it together and we'll make people feel like it's kind of, you know, you're digging into the archives. And it went really well. And uh, we had sort of a few magazines kind of picked up on it. Fact Magazine posted, our oh, Slimsy's back. He's just started SoundCloud. Um, and we started to get booking requests coming in. I started to push the fees up. I got him a booking agent. And within sort of a year or so, we had him, yeah, doing sort of 8, 10, 12 shows a month, you know, getting four four figures per show from, from essentially like, you know, nothing much was going on for him before that, which was, I just thought was, you know, just mm. really sad and, you know, he just deserved to be in a good position. So that was my sort of first experience as a manager. And then, yeah, it grew from there, took other artists on and here we are
0: be good um before we get on to talking about the label side of the business or, or any other industry stuff it would be remiss not to talk about the fact that you manage one of the biggest artists in the country at the mm. moment aj tracy tell us about mm. that story how did you get to know him how did that relationship grow and how's that going right now
1: also congrats on the brit nom as well <laughs> oh thank yeah, you yeah. thank you Fine. appreciate that thanks
2: um i guess a part of a part of the work that i was doing in in sort of what year would it have been Twenty five 14, 15, 16, as I was going mm-hmm. to Radar quite regularly um, with acts I managed. And then I was also doing a, a, a monthly show for my label, which was still active then. And what was happening at that point is there was this kind of, this new pocket of grime MCs was emerging. And, and it was really like, Radar was the hub for it. Radar mm-hmm. was the hub for that, that the development of that scene. So you had MCs like Chams and Novelist and Mike Tai and... Uh, my mind's gone blank but there was dozens um Mm -hmm. and aj was one of them and uh i'd met him at radar a couple times um and it's funny because another act that i managed called merlot actually kind of made me pay attention to aj's music he he Uh sort of said like have you you heard this aj tracy i was like yeah i've I've seen him about yeah and and chris said i've sent some beats to him and the thing is with chris he's he's really particular with with who he wants to work with Mm -hmm. and so that sort of like set an alarm off for me. So I went in, I went on AJ SoundCloud and I uh-huh. found it's really funny. It's it's kind of the songs had a bit of a resurgence in the last couple of weeks on like via TikTok, mm-hmm. but I uh-huh. found Wifey Rhythm, which is like a basically like a garage beat with him uh-huh. just spitting over it. And I just yeah. thought it was fantastic. It felt really it felt really brave and it felt like nothing else that his peers were doing musically. It felt a lot more ambitious and and it felt like he was kind of putting himself out to 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 be different from the uh-huh. rest. And that, that's just something that always appeals to me in an artist is that sort of uh, bravery to step out from the pack, even if you're not sure if it'll work or not. Um, so I got in touch and we met up and um, we started working.
0: And was it a very sort of ethos is aligned? Like you both I'm felt yeah, the totally way independent sort of ethos? Yeah, it really,
2: yeah. It really was. I think when we, when we first met, um, which was outside mcdonald's in brixton he reminded me the other (laughs) week um i think he'd already been approached by some more experienced managers probably more more sort of professionally presented managers and i don't think he really like caught a vibe with anything um i think i think i think we had a similar sort of we were both kind of like you know trying to sort of forge a path in what we were Mm -hmm. doing and i think there was just some alignment there i think also i had a sort of a good a good uh understanding i've been involved in the history of the genre that he was yeah. coming up in as well in some small way so i think that sort of gave me a bit of extra credibility as well
0: yeah mutual respect that yeah really I, think, I
2: think i think you know the, the music industry likes to hop on things when they're already popping but i kind mm-hmm. of i kind of yeah i had been in the in the trenches of like certain <laughs> certain things happening so i think there was a bit of yeah a bit of sort of alignment there
0: Nice, and then how was that roller coaster <laughs> to you know to where to where he is today? If you can sum that up, yeah,
2: it, it all it all happened really quickly. I guess when we first started working, I was working with sort of five or six artists, and he would have been one of the one of the smallest of them yeah. in, in terms of like you know income, audience mm-hmm. size. Um, but it really grew quite quickly to the point where I guess like a year after, he was the the biggest by far, yeah, um, and taking up the most of my time by far. I think when we first when we first linked up he would sort of half written an EP and he'd already announced it and he'd already announced the release date but it wasn't anywhere near finished and so I was kind of thrown in at the deep end of kind of project managing something that that didn't exist yet and just kind of pulling pulling that into 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 some shape and uh getting it out there and that was the Alex Moran EP which was actually the second EP that he released he'd already self released the front EP prior to that which is what Wifey Ridden was on um but with the front uh sorry with alex moran ep um i had this idea of sort of doing like um email sign up free download thing which which kind of went went down really well and then we did like a little merch t-shirt mm. the front cover of the ep was a uh like an american football jersey with uh-huh. a brand seven on it um so i had the idea of doing like a little merch run of that and we did that i sort of shipped it out of my bedroom in bristol um but that flew out and um yeah, I mean, you know, carried on from there. A year later, we'd released uh, the Little Tracy EP. Um, Tiago Silva had been been and gone at that point. Yeah, Released the Little Tracy EP November the following year, I think 70, 2017, 16, 17, one of those two. Oh. Um, and that was where, that was the EP. That was the project that got him featured on everything like, you know, BBC Sound poll, mm-hmm. um, uh, Vivo wants to watch. So there was five or six kind of, emerging artist showcase platforms that that picked him up at that point, um, which I, th- I think was a real kind of trigger point for everything that went on from there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, we put, we put the first headline shows on sale. We sold out th- three. We had one XOYO go up, sold out in about 10 minutes, put a second one up, sold out in 10 minutes, put a third yes. one up, sold out in about half an hour. And I thought, all right, cool. That's it.
0: Yeah. Well, let's call and it. That's when, that's when yeah. it really felt
2: like it was, <laughs> That, that, that's the point where it felt like it was really like moving beyond the, the pace we'd expected it to. And it kind of just carried on from there. Yeah.
0: And was was that period quite hard for you guys being so independently minded and having done so much work, you know, independently and then together to, to build it yourself? I imagine quite a lot of things were starting to come to you. People were coming to you, labels coming to you. Imagine how was hmm. that period?
2: I mean, it was, it was, um, it was busy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't, I mean, look, I, 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 I've never, I've never worked in a, in a sort of a corporate music environment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't come from a major label and then suddenly I'm out there by myself trying to do this thing. I'd always done things by yeah. myself. So it was really just a sort of like a steeper learning curve more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty overwhelming, but I'd, I'd always felt <laughs> overwhelmed by my work anyway. So it wasn't <laughs> anything different.
1: How has your yeah. relationship with AJ changed from when you first yeah. started managing to the relationship you have today? Obviously, I imagine you know each other a lot better than you did when you first <laughs> yeah. met outside like, McDonald's in Brixton, but how would you say yeah. it, it's developed as you've you've sort of gone on into this journey together, really?
2: Well, he's gone from being twenty-one to being twenty-eight. <laughs> so I feel I feel like he's he's, you know, changed as a person. He's kind of figured out what's important to him he's figured out his values i think he's um i think part of being a, 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 an artist trying to break through is that you have to be very kind of self-centered you have mm-hmm. to really be focused on yourself and your journey mm-hmm. but i think that as he's achieved a level of success i'm sort of really like proud of the way that he started to look around him and say right who who can i help up how how can i how can i share this um and I think that's something that's really important to him um and, and that that's a big change that i've seen in him is he's very sort of he's become a lot more community well maybe he's not become more community-minded but he's been able to action more things to help his community
0: yeah he's got the platform you know, he, yeah
2: yeah and that's not just with musicians like he helps a lot of artists around him but he also um you know when it's christmas he goes and he he buys like 100 turkeys and hires a van and yeah. just goes around, <laughs> goes around his local area like giving turkeys out and stuff. And it's like, he doesn't even really want to sort of publicise it, yeah. but he just, you know, does things like that of his own accord. That was going is...
1: to sound like the weirdest promo drop of all time. I just bought 100 turkeys and put my EP in like my son. That's <laughs> real weird. But now it's Christmas, it's charity. It makes sense. So I was thinking, where are we yeah. all wearing Alex Moran shirts, these turkeys? But <laughs> strange.
2: I think it's, it's, it's I, I just think that personally I feel it's really important that artists that have achieved any sort of level of success you know find a way to share that and, and sort of you know yeah. help the next artist up because I think another thing for AJ is that when he was when he was coming up I don't think he felt I don't think he really was I don't think he had a lot of support from sort of musical peers
1: mm.
2: um I think a lot of the sort of the more established grime scene, a lot of the established grime scene like really supported him. People like P Money, uh, Skepta, mm-hmm. JME. Uh, I don't want to miss any out, but there are others. Um, really sort of, really kind of helped him up and welcomed him. But then yeah. I
0: think
2: large parts of that scene weren't really receptive to like the youngers coming through. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's strange. I think he's kind of, Yeah, often felt like he didn't really get that much support from other artists in his early days. But he's, thankfully, he hasn't got the same attitude towards, Mm. you know, the youngest coming. The next generation, yeah. Yeah, Was
0: that a a frustration at the time? Or was he just like, let's just do it. Let's just go our own way. Yeah, Yeah, a bit of both. Yeah.
2: I think a bit of both, yeah. I think it sort of fired him up, if anything.
0: Nice. I'd love to chat about one of your other artists, Sega Bodega. A completely mm. different world. You know, my impression I've known Sega Bodega's work for years, played mm. on Radio One, late night. He has always just you know musically totally pushing things forward but visually as well mm-hmm. his journey you know he's been making and producing consistently better more inventive music and it seems to be it's really kicking off now you know mm-hmm. the he's working with and um, how's yeah. his journey been
2: it's been it's been really good um i started working with sega probably um less than six months after i started working with aj right um sega at that point had been He'd been around for sort of four mm-hmm. or five years. He'd sort of he'd done like Radio One Big Weekend, yeah. mm-hmm. like years prior. Um, but but sort of he'd got a, a few kind of industry plugins, but hadn't really ever built uh, like an audience from it. Yeah. Um, so when I came on board, um, I, I actually released uh, an EP of his through my Crazy Legs label before mm-hmm. we worked together in a management capacity. Nice. Um, so it was a kind of like, it was like a really kind of useful accidental test run. Um, ah, nice. was it, that wasn't of...
0: an EP that had Luxor Quest on it. There was one track that always sticks out in my mind. I think it was Luxor nah, it was, Quest it part was... 3 or something. Unbelievable.
2: No, nah, what was that one? Uh, <laughs> Maybe a really early
0: one. Yeah, he had, he had a
2: couple of EPs <laughs> that he released um, prior to working with me. Yeah. Uh, he then released an EP called SB with a bright red cover and a black S yeah. on the front. I think it was Simon Wybray designed it. Brilliant, brilliant design um that had a track called cc featuring shy girl i yep. think that might have been shy girl's first ever piece of music i no think way. it might have been um and uh yeah that was the first and then, and then i sort of i really got a feel for his kind of his work ethic and his kind of level of ambition from yep. working with him on that project and i was kind of i didn't quite have this the, the sort of I didn't quite have the, 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 the understanding of his like vision at that point. It felt like he was really capable of creating a whole world of different sounds, but it, 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 I, I didn't necessarily know how it wrapped up in future at that point.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But his work ethic and his sort of desire to just elevate um, was, really, was really impressive. And, and so I thought, let's, let's try a management thing. And we did that and i think that my my learning from that is that you know work ethic plus ambition equals the the artistic package further down the line and i i've I've, you know i've been able to watch him develop as an artist through that you know relentless work rate um to the point he's at now i think when we spoke a year ago i think the position that he's in now compared to when Mm -hmm. uh, the three of us spoke you know nine months ago i think he's come on leaps and bounds in terms of like the size of his audience the, the sort of the, the realization of his artistry. We've released a new album since then, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, he's touring Europe and America in the next sort of two, three months. That's all gonna sell out, which is right. I'm, I'm so happy about.
0: Ah, I'm pleased to hear um, that. It's good news. Yeah. Man.
2: It's, it's, it's looking good. I, I was just looking at the, the U S ticket sales yesterday. It's like, we're gonna do 700 tickets in New York, which oh, is like the same, wow. as, same as London. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah it's really, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. Um,
0: yeah, that's starting to match the ambition of, of, of the audience. Yeah, artists, totally, you know, that's amazing.
2: Totally, totally. I think that <clears throat> Sega's journey has been like, if you're looking at this, if you're looking at sort of, you know, commercial metrics, his uh-huh. journey has been a lot slower than AJ's, but we've just taken it steady and I think there's never been any, any, um, we've never tried to rush anything. There's never been any sort of desire to take shortcuts. Great. And I think that, that approach over a long time combined with, you know, strong work ethic. Um, I think that manifests itself in success. Yeah,
0: over... and that's to be celebrated. Yeah,
2: literally, I, I'm, I'm as excited about selling 700 Sega tickets in New York as I'm about selling, you know, 20,000 Ali Pali tickets for AJ <laughs> or, or, you know, main stage Reading Festival. It's, 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 it's more about the, it's more about the, the, the progression mm. than the sort of comparing this sort of the raw metrics.
1: Yeah. yeah, and those first day kind of early smaller shows are, are kind of where you type yeah. you get to have a kind of step back moment and be like, right, this is happening. We're building something. <laughs> right, it must feel yeah feel quite amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. let's talk about now one of my favourite people, lovely Collins, conductor, <laughs> best smile in the music industry. Yeah. If you haven't seen conductor <laughs> smile, it's everything. Cracks <laughs> me up. Um, <laughs> so you're working with him, and obviously has Kiwi Records now. Um, yeah. I love him. I think he just does fantastically well in terms of... Whenever I see, like, we oh, hate to use the term organic social, it's such a marketing word, mm-hmm. but he just <laughs> yeah. is so... Much fun on there, and when he does lives and yeah. things, and I feel like his audience is is yeah. really built up from that really kind of fun party vibe that he has. Especially now, right. you know, he's he's had great success with some of the garage tunes he's done with AJ and things. So, how yeah. um, how are you looking to build with with Conductor now and, and that label? Now you've now we have the got lives is... back in the space that we need it to be.
2: Yeah, well, we did we we did a. Uh, a conductor's first headline tour um we called it conductor's crib which was named after the the live streams we did yeah yeah lockdown. i saw
1: a lot of them it cracked and me
2: yeah <laughs> yeah so what we did with the um the club shows is we tried to sort of recreate the kind of house party vibe we had him play all night so he would play the first tune of the night he played the last tune of the night he would play for five six hours in some cases we would make sure that in every in every I think there's a couple we weren't allowed to do it but in I think in in most of the 14 or 15 UK shows that we did we would have the, if, if there was a stage we'd, we would make sure that security would allow put put some steps in allow the crowd to come up on the stage mm. behind him nice. you know to get that sort of like boiler room vibe yeah, of yes. like The parties is in front and behind and so we had that real <clears throat> sort of intimate feel at these shows to make it feel like you know, you're really sort of connected with him in the same way that we tried to do with the live streams. Um, and that felt really good. I think we sold out all, all, but I think there might have been a couple that didn't sell out, but most of them just sort of flew out. The um, yeah. thing with Collins is, is he's like, he's the ultimate sort of modern day creator in that music is a part of the puzzle, but it's certainly not all of it. Mm. Like his his kind of his kind of charisma and his um like you say his like social media um kind of character is a big part of it, but also like as i mentioned with a j before i feel like collins has really developed as a sort of um he's really taken his responsibility on board um to his community um and with conductor that's really sort of come out with the the, labels, the label side of it as well. We you know we built Kiwi Records as a way to create a sort of a hub for all the, the young uh, UK garage producers that were kind of coming up in different places and not really connected together at the time, sort of three, four years mm-hmm. ago. So we built the label as a way to say like, okay, there's a home for all this now. Um, we're going to start releasing some of it. We're going to start doing events so that some of you can come and get your first gigs with us and things like this. And so I think that, Maybe more than anyone that I work with, he's really taken his responsibility as a sort of like a like a leader sort of figure really seriously. Um, and it's yeah, it's almost as if the music is it's not it's, obviously it's not a side thing, but it's 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 only a part of the big picture of who he is as a as a public figure. And I think some of the things that we talk about for the year ahead are are actually non musical. We, we, we're talking about sort of. I won't, I won't talk about specifics, but there's other projects that he wants to get involved with to expand that kind of community support um, angle Mm -hmm. in, in, in other potentially even more meaningful ways. Um, and so that, that's what, that's what he's really about now is, is sort of, you know, building his, building his platform to, to help others
1: yeah there's nice. something about him I don't know why it's such a weird reference but <clears throat> I always think of like Andre 3000 when I think a conductor because yeah I think he definitely right. has that theatrical element in him like he could oh yeah, he totally. could totally do a video totally. where he is dressed like a, a Rick James from the <laughs> 70s in a crazy suit yeah. and do a whole like fake dating show online kind of thing like I could just so <laughs> yeah, see that totally, element totally. of theatre around him I just think oh he could be like just an Andre 3000 yeah, that's yeah. the reference I always that's see. a great
2: that's a great idea by the way for our next bit of there we King go, go. there we won't we so, even ask for any yeah.
1: points or anything, just take it. Go for <laughs> it. But yeah,
2: did you see the um, did you see the uh, the the uh, the film um, the film reference we did at Christmas, the uh, love actually thing?
1: Yes, yeah, with the the, the um, what do you call it? Taking the the leaflets or not leaflets, yeah, papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah That's yeah. funny. But yeah, no, I, I just yeah, I just got so much time for him. He's just such. such a light in the world in such a gloomy two years. You can't you never ever log on to anything conductor doesn't feel miserable. It's not possible. Like you're just like this guy is great. Like it's just amazing. Let's um talk about
0: the non-management side of supernature and the rest of the business there, the service companies, the the creative side of things. What's the kind of what's the kind of ethos behind that? And and how did that come about out of those early days of The
2: ethos in a nutshell is to do all the things that you would normally have to pass over to somebody else to do and to do them through the lens of the manager, right. to, To do them truly in the vision of the artist without any sort of compromise. That's, that's the, that's the purpose of it in a nutshell. How we got there was very soon after sort of founding the company, which was like four, four years ago now, um, you know, the various artists that I manage had projects coming out. We had, you know, music done. Mm-hmm. products created ready to sort of deliver but we didn't know didn't have you know I had, I had various distribution partners i'd worked with various labels interested in things but what i really wanted to do was have a sort of a base level infrastructure um for delivering stuff um just to get it out there if we didn't have a partner for certain projects so tried a few things tried a few different distribution partners um and just kind of came to the sort of realization that sort of received, uh, found, found some information that, that sort of made me realise that I don't need to partner with a distributor. I can build that infrastructure into the company.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so um, myself with Tom Lee, who worked with me for, uh, for a couple of years, we sort of set about trying to deconstruct how people set distributors up mm-hmm. and what the component parts are um, and how you set about uh, sort of deconstructing it and working out how you, you know, how you deliver... Your content to you know the the 300 or so yeah uh, digital platforms globally how you you know get the money back and how you uh, you know account the money back to the artists and all the sort of operational um, parts that make up a distributor and we we sort of over a long difficult period of time just basically we sort of figured it all out tried a few things tried a few software solutions worked out how to do the deals. Um, and we've been refining it ever since, really. but you know at the base of it we have we have distribution capability in the company. It's not being partnered with another distributor. It is using software solutions, but in most cases it, it, in all cases with the major DSPs, we have direct deals. We deliver the content directly to them through our software partner, and we um, receive the money directly back into our bank account without anyone touching it first. We then can account it backwards to the artists and the contributors. And so that means that we've been able to essentially build all the layers on top of that, that, you know, everything up to a sort of a large record label would have. So you sort of, you've got the distribution at the bottom of it, and then you've got, you add the sort of uh, of label operations side, which is the sort of business affairs, doing the deals, um, contributor accounting and all that sort of stuff. And so we essentially have all the component parts of a record label in house, which we're able to now um, pull into different combinations to offer whatever type of support our artists need. So if we've got an artist who just needs a record, just delivering, doesn't need any marketing support, no product management, just a track to deliver, we can just deliver that easy. Just go, just fire it off. If a, if an artist needs uh, full scale project management. Then we can pull that into a, a type of deal. We can put some, put some funding into it, have a recruitment system in the contract and operate in that, in that manner, in the same way that a record label would, albeit with much more sort of artist friendly deal terms. Cause we're mm-hmm. able to, cause we're the management as well. So we can do all these different things. And once that was built, my realization was this allows us to work with artists that we don't necessarily get a chance to manage. We really like. We can go to them and say, "Hey, like, we know you've got great management, but can we help with records? Can we, can we support you on this side of things? Because actually, the, the partner you're currently with, we can do a better job." And so we've been able to build a roster of sort of independently minded entrepreneurial type artists for whom we we have sort of hybrid record deal type arrangements, and that sits alongside the management. And currently, all of our management clients also use our in-house services.
0: Um,
2: And that's not something that they're obliged to do, but it's something that works for all of them currently. Everything from development artists up to, we did AJ's second album, Flu Game, directly through Supernature.
0: That's amazing. And it's a real testament to having shared ethos and everybody kind of singing from the same hymn sheet, I guess, in terms of that. It it,
2: it, It just feels like, it just feels like the best, as a manager, it feels like the, the absolute best solution there can be. And there's nothing to say further down the line, there's nothing to prevent us from you know, upstreaming, as they call it, uh, a, a yeah. record to another label. Mm. You know, If a major label comes along and, and, and wants to partner with AJ, it's, 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 there's nothing stopping him doing that. If we mm. deem that to be the best pathway for his next sort of successes, then we do that. But it just happens that until this point, the best solution has been what we have.
1: It's interesting what you were saying because obviously I am sure that there have been many major labels who have wanted to to partner in upstream a j and work with him so without mm. maybe you going too much into the the financials of it. Why has the decision mm. been because I'm sure there has been some some nice checks on those tables been to mm. to not go that way and and have you ever had a conversation with a j where it's, I mean, it's. It's very hard, especially if he, You know, you, you maybe don't come from a hugely like you know in privileged background. If somebody's like, here's a millie on the mm. table, here's a check. How do you have those conversations with him to be like, okay, that's a lot of money up front, but you you kind of make him knowledgeable about the fact that that's recouped. You know, we we can make more if we do it yeah. ourselves. We own our own masters. Like, how has that that conversation happened with artists so you they can understand a bit well, more about the deals they're getting into? Yeah.
2: The thing with AJ, especially, um, is that we've we've shared this experience. We've learned all of this stuff together. We've seen his his career go from. Um, I think when we first started working, I think a track he had on SoundCloud called Nyla had done like a hundred thousand streams, and that was like a monstrous achievement for him at yeah. that point. That that's, that really sort of set him apart from his peers. Um, we hit 1.6 billion streams on Spotify this week, Wow! Unbelievable. Sort of five, <laughs> five years later. Um, and we've just, every step of that process, there's been opportunities to, um, partner with labels and various other sort of entities. And a lot of the time we've just felt like, you know what, we've come this far. We've survived. Let's just try the next thing. And there were so many occasions, I say this a lot, so many occasions where in the early days where people didn't really respect us that much because we were, we were new and no one really knew who we were. People would say, oh, you're not going to make, you're not going to get to the next step without help. Like you can't do it, it's not possible. And I think we both had the same attitude of like, well, fuck you, yeah it is, we're going <laughs> to try it anyway. Yes, like, I, and, and we just kind of, that attitude taught us that a lot of the, the things that these people in the industry tell you is just, just lies. Um, or it's based on inexperience on their part as well. Um, but w- many times we achieved things independently that we'd been told that we couldn't. And every time that happens, you, you, you kind of, you just become a bit more emboldened and you, you're you more likely to do it independently the next time. And so it just gets, it, it just fixes you into that mindset over time. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, we, we're always open to conversation. We, we, we frequently have conversations with um, people in the major label system. I think there's some great people that work in the major label system, some great individuals, and it's it's um, friends who work in the major label system. <clears throat> but um, I just think it would have to be something, it would have to be a, I don't know what the deal would have to be. I don't know what the offering would have to be to, to make it a no brainer for us. Mm-hmm. There's often like temptation, and not 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 even from a financial point of view, because you know he's set financially. He's set. He's, he's you know he's bought <clears throat> he's bought his mum a house. He's bought himself a house. Like he's he's set. So it's really about when you're assessing these mm-hmm. kind of offerings. It's really about looking at the people that make the team up and and sort of looking at it like. Because you know you're gonna, you, you know that the financial terms are not going to match what he currently has. If you go and do a deal like this, it's impossible. Yeah. Um, even if he were to go and do a straight distribution deal with someone, it, it can't match the terms that I can provide him. Because if I do the distribution for mm. him, I don't take a management cut. Yeah. So it's literally there's no one else getting the same gross percentage of earnings as AJ in, in the country. I, I don't think. Um. Where was I going okay. um, but it, so so it would be impossible to match the financial terms. So it really has to be about um is a uh, is a sort of reduction in the financial terms um <laughs> negated by um much more expertise on the team side can 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 the team take us international, for example? can the team create the same uh audience that he has in the u k in ten other markets globally? Then it becomes worthwhile. But no one's achieved that for mm. a British rapper before. There's no precedent of anybody achieving that. And so it's, it's really hard to actually imagine how anyone could do it.
1: So elevation over compensation is what they always say. I think, yeah. Um, I like and our manager like saying to me ages ago, like you, one of the biggest lies that I think you said already. The industry tells you is that only certain people can open certain doors for you, and therefore, yeah. in order to get through those doors, you have to do these deals. But
2: yeah, I like to think that with the work that that we do with AJ, we're slowly kind of eroding that um, that attitude mm. and showing people that actually the gatekeepers that used to be there aren't actually they're not actually there
1: um we don't want to dwell on it too much because we know that it is literally just just the hot topic at the moment but we've got to touch ever so briefly on streaming right and the the kind of uh, there's a lot of news and a lot of social posts and things at the moment which are very good and very productive to show what people are actually getting paid from you know a billion streams on spotify a million streams a 100 million streams on spotify obviously i think it, it's very safe to say and me and ali would agree that the model is is broken and is not fit for purpose economically for, for any artist today. Really, I mean, I'm sure if you are a top twenty artist, maybe you would ever so slightly disagree. But if you had an artist coming to you who who had a, you know a nice deal on the table from a major, but was you know starting to pop off, what would your kind of advice be to them? Would would it be to not do a major? But would it go independent? What would you you feel about the kind of streaming system?
2: First of all, it completely depends on the the, the the structure of the deal that's on the table. If it's a traditional major label deal, um, I know I am like massively oversimplifying this, but the, the fact is that the standard traditional major label deal with the sort of you know eighteen percent gross points to the artist, with everything being recouped via your eighteen points, or sixteen, or fifteen, or fourteen, if mm-hmm. you've got other producers getting points. Like you're not recouping you're, you're 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 not really ever getting to a royalty mm. um and for me that is that that stands directly in the way that stands directly in the path of an artist being able to actually build a business and have recurring income living from advance to advance is that is not how you build a business um and so it would really be about the deal terms if a major label was offering an artist a deal where they were likely to recoup within a sort of reasonable period of time, and then once recouped, they're going to be able to get a decent percentage of the income. Then it's a consideration for sure.
1: There's a lot of press. There's a lot of you know very open dialogue going on around streaming at the moment, and I think we can agree that that the model is broken. And um, I know that's not just to say it's on the DSPs. The, the label deals are very much part of it. But what what change would you like to see, and what do you think needs needs to happen?
2: The model is, um, I don't know if the model is broken, but the the circumstances that brought this model into existence were a a disaster. Like digital piracy um, essentially just destroyed the sort of perceived value of recorded music in isolation. Mm. Um, People were no longer willing, people weren't willing to, pay for an M. well i mean piracy came before M. B. before itunes then monetized it but you had this odd situation where people had suddenly for the first time been able to get hold of music to listen to on demand without having to buy a physical product so you had this sudden new reality of the convenience of listening to music without having to go to hmb and buy something without having to you know pay a lump sum to get hold of it um, and i think that the music industry's first Solution to that was all right. Let's 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 clamp down on it, make it illegal. Uh, try and sue people. Let's try and sue kids in their bedrooms for downloading music illegally, and then let's uh, launch uh, platforms where you can pay for these things. Pay ninety nine p for one of these things that you were getting free uh, a week ago, and that worked a bit. But if you got if you go and look at the sort of, there's some really interesting graphs out there that show the percentage of they show the sort of. Total uh, music industry revenue for each given year over the past thirty years, and how it breaks down by format. And MP3 purchase was never; it never made a difference. It, it sort of, it, it kind of, it, it replaced some of the lost CD sales, but maybe twenty, thirty percent of it. It wasn't until the streaming model was introduced that the actual overall in the overall uh, annual revenue of the music business started to go back up, and sort of recover from the, the destruction that piracy caused. And so from my perspective, the streaming model is, it is what it is, but without it, the recorded music business wouldn't have survived
1: Mm.
2: because of, because of piracy, because of the, the digital revolution that happened because of LimeWire and Napster and all these things. Like if you really want to point the finger anywhere. That's that's the root cause of it there, <laughs> and whatever you think of Daniel Ek, whatever you think of the streaming platforms and their ethics today, you do have to accept that that model saved recorded music. It saved the the music business. Um,
0: a hundred percent. All all I saw on my Twitter last weekend. Maybe it's because I follow a lot yeah. of like "indier than thou" people yeah. in their thirties and forties. But it was like, oh, yeah, my life wouldn't change if Spotify disappeared. It's only the artists getting screwed over. And it's like, bullshit, that, has, that, is, that uh, genie is out of the bottle. That's yeah. how people consume. That's how young people consume. So, you know, yeah. there are a lot of folks yeah. with it.
2: Yeah, because, because what, what happened is that people were not and arguably still are not willing to pay for just music. People aren't willing to pay for just music. Yeah. People are willing to pay to go to a show. And have a communal experience mm. with music as the mm. as the focal point people are willing to go on netflix and watch a film that's got music synced with it people are willing to go on tiktok and and consume a ton of music via audio visual content but by and large people aren't really up for just listening to music by itself mm. and so the actual
0: mm-hmm.
2: the actual perce- per- perception of value of music is very low and so what what streaming did is it restored a little bit of income to that so it's it's making the best of a a difficult situation but i i don't know what the alternative is yeah and here's the thing if 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 artists or labels can take this new technology the web3 technology and if they can start putting music um if if they can start putting music on sale in the form of nfts where people have to pay 9.99 for an nft one of one copy of an album one of one of a hundred one of a yeah. thousand if the audience prefers that then great because that artist or that label can then stop using streaming they've got their business model but people don't want to do it they want the convenience they want to get all the music in the world for
0: 9.99 you tweeted last night an amazing retweeted uh, excellent mm. steve albini thread which really explains mm. the minutiae if anyone wants to check that out, check it. You know we're recording twelfth of February, and it's an amazing thread. Just to just to get that in there,
1: and I think it's it's probably a a good way to look at and sidestep into the kind of new what's how am I going to use it? Let's just call it. I hate the term the metaverse, but let us call Web three. That's what we'll call it. It's a better term. And how. You know, it's a big thing at the moment, particularly with music going into NFTs and, and metaverse and things like that. How do you feel that I think what's interesting, particularly with things like, you know, decentralized finance is there's this ability now for maybe moving forward for people to do deals within that space. That means that they recoup faster with their royalties. I don't quite understand how it works, but, but when you see that kind of technology moving forward, are you a bit scared of it? Are you excited for it? Are you, are you ready to dabble with your artists in that space? How do you feel?
2: I'm I'm really curious about it. I'm I, I never write things off without having a full understanding of them, um, which I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people are writing this off as a fad. Um, I think a lot of people are not digging any deeper than drawings of monkeys going for millions of dollars and thinking, "What the fuck? This is ridiculous." <laughs> that, that 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 particular detail right there—that's a bubble, and that bursts yeah. and that goes away. But the what's really interesting to me is that the technology that underpins all of this um the idea that like the nft isn't isn't the picture of the monkey the nft is a a, is a a bit of a bit of code that sits underneath it and connects it to the blockchain and that bit of code gives you irrefutable proof of ownership of the of Mm -hmm. the drawing of the monkey and that's what's really interesting is that that thing underneath Uh, because what that allows is for people to own digital assets and that's never been possible before because digital assets without a code underneath can be duplicated and and every copy is identical but that that smart contract allows you to prove that this one here is different to this one here in the same way that an art print says one out of 20 in the corner and the next one says two out of 20 they're both the same but the little thing in the corner says that you own this one and that's what's really interesting to me is the way that the, the 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 opportunities that opens up for artists to have digital merch um to sort of sell or to give away um limited units of uh, song recordings um you know we, we we have no idea how big this goes the, the, the possibilities are literally endless but it creates a, it creates a whole new sort of paradigm it creates a a whole new reality around the the sort of interaction between the digital world and and the physical world
1: Mm.
2: and that's like i think that once i kind of got my head around what the technology is it suddenly kind of clicked and it felt really intuitive it felt like oh yeah of course this this happens next and i think that once once you see some more kind of maybe mainstream musicians trying things in this space i think that people start to get comfortable with what it means and start to understand what it actually is. And then I think you, at some point there's a tipping point and it becomes mainstream in the same way that the internet was once disregarded as a fad and social media was disregarded. Mm. Yeah. Fad. It's, it's all it's all revolutionised our lives completely. And I think this technology in some form will do that as well.
0: Nice. Just like Bowie predicted <laughs> the internet. Yeah. 40, yeah, thirty yeah. years ago, forty yeah. years ago. Visionary. Something. Yeah, just quickly before we finished, uh, Sophie mentioned that uh, Supernaturals have some jobs going on the mm-hmm. Kickstarter scheme. Uh, we'd love to talk about why you're doing that, the sort of reasoning behind that, how you got involved with that. That's because for me, that's a brilliant thing to be doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think that the first couple of years of sort of building out my staff team was very much based on fulfilling specific needs. But I think we're at a point now where we can start yeah. to sort of have a bit of space to help, help some people who are less experienced, um, less privileged to, to develop. Mm, yeah, Cause I think, you know, a big part of our ethos on the artist side is to help, help artists that, that don't have the same resources as some of their peers to get a foot up. Um, and I want to make sure that we take the same approach to sort of the, the, the staff side of things, the people that help artists yeah. and sort of provide some opportunities there.
0: that's 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 really it more power to you on that
1: and then the one question that we always kind of end on um what is the song that is the soundtrack to your life and it can't it doesn't just have to be you know a big aj song that was the first big hit it could be a song that you grew up listening to it was a song you always heard in the clubs and it made you want to dj or made you want to promote like what is what it doesn't have to be the but what is one of the soundtrack to your life songs do you
2: know what you you asked me this last time and I I, I think I said I think I said Ladbroke <laughs> Grove because it literally had been the soundtrack in yeah, of yeah. my life and it, and it was kind of I'm going to so I'm going to do two I'm just going to explain why that was my last choice and it's because that song was the sort of the point where everything mm. kind of came together for me and for AK. Conductor made that
1: song as well didn't he so um, it was his, his production Conductor yeah, yeah.
2: produced it yeah 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 so yeah it, it was a real sort of like yeah Things coming together, sort of moment when that became really nice. popular. Um, but what I'm going to say this time is uh, it's a record called Music Sounds Better With You by um, a French duo. Yes, Stardust, of course. Huge was, uh, track,
1: massive yeah. track. It was,
2: yeah, a legendary It was track. a number one single in the UK in 1996. And, and I'll tell you why I'm picking this. It's because when that song was on the radio all day, constantly I, I i couldn't stand it it was so repetitive and so
1: and so and so boring
2: and so monotonous and i was so sick of it and um and one day we went to visit we my my me and my mum and my dad i'm an only child we would go and visit my mom's cousin in north wales every sort of every few months we would just go and spend the day there her son is called matthew he's a couple of years older than me we um, I mean, haven't actually spoken for years. I follow him on Twitter and he posts like film reviews and stuff. I think he works in film production, but we haven't actually spoken for a long time. Um, but I got there and it was really coincidentally, the, the, the record I'm talking about was, was like a, a part of the kind of the, what we now call like the French touch mm. house movement.
1: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. Daft Punk was part Mojo, of it. Mojo, um, that kind of thing. All that. Yeah, Mojo was like a sort of a, uh, on the commercial end of it. But yeah, there was a whole sort of like a whole scene, a whole culture of... of house crossed over with hip hop coming out of France at that point. And we got to my my mum's cousin's house and and Matthew had like, he was already deep into this stuff. And he basically showed me all these different artists that created context around this record. Um, And it was fascinating for me. And it was my first taste of like, I would have been, I don't know, how old have I been? Probably like 15, 14, 15. And it was my first real taste of understanding the culture around music and and, and music communities and the way that different artists are connected to one another, the places that artists congregate and sort of feed off of each other. And over the course of that one day, he showed me artists like Etienne de Cressy, Alex Gopher. um, What else would it have been? All the the labels run by the people behind Stardust, Roulet, uh, Creed which is the label run by the other guy from Daft Punk. And I was just so fascinated by it, and it set me off on this journey of like discovery about French house music.
0: Um,
2: And from that point, I loved the Stardust record because I (laughs) understood because I I understood it. I understood I understood what it meant. It meant it was the it was the the real it was the sort of realization of this whole culture of music that that fed up from the underground all the way to the top of the charts in the UK. And so I loved it. And I still love
0: it. That is an excellent choice. <laughs> Amazing. For a hell of a yeah. reason. Yeah, that song, that song that initially annoyed the hell yep. out of you, starting yep. things off. Yep. I love that. Brilliant. It's
1: fantastic.
0: Um, thank you so much for not only doing this one, twice. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we could speak to you for hours because there's just so much to chat about, so much to discuss. You've achieved so much.
1: Congrats. Thank you. I hope that Thanks for going. having
2: me. Really appreciate um.
1: it. Thank you so much for coming on. It was um incredible. So knowledgeable. So much wisdom there.
2: Thanks so much. Take care.
1: Well, well, well. Do you know what? I have listened to this episode because obviously we've been in Edit Alley about three or four times. And every time I listen to it, I just feel like I gain just a little bit more knowledge from Andy. Like he's just as a fully a manager working independently and doing it himself with his artists, with the distribution, the artwork, the marketing, everything. That's just such incredible stories he told there. I just love the episode. And also uh, I think I fangirled a bit over Conductor. So Only a little bit. But then I did that about (laughs) Sega
0: Bodega as well. So we're even on that count. It's cool. He was was polite to us about that. Um, Yeah, I just loved like how the guy's always looking forward and not just talking about web three or NFTs. He's looking forward to the future of people Involved in the industry and that Kickstarter scheme that we discussed uh, For 16 to 24 year olds on Universal Credit There is not enough of that stuff going on in the music industry In general, let alone the management community So more power to that He, The biggest thing I just got from him, he just believes in people And he believes mm. in giving people a path and doing that independently And not being beholden to what anyone else wants you to do In this industry, so yeah, what a chat Do you know what, I'm probably going to go and listen to it again and skip past my own voice because everybody hates that right
1: thank you for listening if you love the show please tell a friend you can get us on all our social handles at manage that pod that's the same for Twitter that's the same for Instagram if you have a question maybe there's a manager of an artist you love that you want us to interview yes. please reach out let us know we're always chatting on people on the DMs
0: until next time I've been Ali she's been Sophie thank you for listening and peace out bye